0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. You're visiting with us today. I'd like to say a special welcome to you. We're glad to have you worshiping among us. And if you haven't been with us, we're in the middle of a series that we've entitled Together, looking at the letter to the Ephesians, at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And today we come to what in many ways is the climax of this book. I've mentioned before that Catherine has put together a CD to teach kids uh, the message of Ephesians. And if you haven't already and you have a family age uh, eight or younger, kids eight or younger, you're welcome to take one. There's a few on the back table. But what I haven't told you is that one of the, one of the um, times at which we were putting this CD together that our heads hit the hardest... was was when Catherine announced that the close of this CD was going to be part of the passage we're looking at today, put to music. And there's just something that within me, coming from a family that struggles with and being riddled with myself, this OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, that said, you just can't do that. You just can't take what's in the middle of this book and then tack it on at the end of your CD as if that's the conclusion, unless you care nothing for order. But as I've come to look at this book more and more, I've actually come to agree with her, because what Paul is about to pray in these verses on behalf of the Ephesians, and on our behalf as well, will in fact not only reverberate to the end of this letter, but is meant to reverberate to the very end of this age. And so we come to what has been described as among the most powerful of prayers ever prayed. And you can follow along with me as I read it from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Again, from Ephesians chapter 3, begin in verse 14, and read through to the end of verse 21. This is God's Word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, And depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's not much left but to echo Paul's prayer. That today, Christ would dwell in us That we would know his love for us. And that we would be filled with all the fullness of you. And then that you would do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You'll have heard that One of the easiest ways to tell the difference between an optimist and a pessimist is with a glass of water. For the optimist, the glass is half full. For the pessimist, the glass is half empty. But the usefulness of this glass goes much further than just distinguishing between the optimists and the pessimists among us. For instance, the realist will say that it is a glass, and indeed it does contain some amount of water. The idealist will go far beyond that and say that in this glass, potentially we have the secret to life, and that perhaps we may, through it, by studying it and looking at it, we may be able to solve the energy crisis and then restore world peace. the realist and the idealist. The good capitalist will look at this glass and see in it an opportunity to multiply their money. If only we bottle it up and sell it to people who would buy bottled water. Jeanette. (laughs) The good communist, though, will look at this glass and see it as a necessity to divide it among the masses. The chauvinists will look at this glass and say that it's not going to fill itself. Then the self-respecting feminist will say that it's an opportunity for the chauvinists to use their God-given legs. But whether from the perspective of psychology, which wonders how the glass makes you feel, or the perspective of philosophy, which wonders whether there's a glass there at all, Or the perspective of English literature, which is only concerned with how you say it. (laughs) We all ought to be able to agree that the glass is not as full as it could be. Half empty or half full, whichever way you come down. The point is the glass isn't all full. And that a glass that's full is better than one that isn't. And it's important to understand that Paul says very much the same thing about the Christian life. That whether you're half full or half empty, this journey with Jesus is meant to be more than most of us are experiencing right now. Coming to Jesus is supposed to be just the beginning of a lifelong journey of growing with Jesus. That we may, through Christ, in the words of Paul, be filled with all the fullness of God. But when is full, full enough? As we look at our passage today, Paul is going to hold up three times over the glass of our Christian life and show us what it means to be full. And yet only ever pray... For more. Oh, pray. This is the fullness I'm asking God to give you. And yet that full would never be full enough. So let's look at the first one. Paul starts off in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason I come to God and pray to God because of what we looked at last week that God made known to Paul God's plan and God's purpose. For this reason, Paul says, I pray because I know the plan and I know the purpose. That this is about God doing what God set out to do, and through that, about God making a statement to God's enemies. Remember last week, if you were here, I know the plan and I know the purpose for this reason. I pray. But Paul prays and has confidence to pray because of what God's already done as well. For this reason, because God's already reached into the grave and already pulled rebels like you and I who were dead in our rebellion back to life. He's already done it, and he's already broken down the dividing wall of hostility both between us and him and between us and each other. And he's already blessed us in Christ with every, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we've already been together blessed. And we are together bound and have been made together alive and brought together near so that we are now together heirs. So I pray, Paul says, because I have a God-given responsibility to do so And because I know that God's got to do what only God can. For this reason, Paul says, I pray. He says, he bows his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, that according to his reputation for doing what he sets out to do, That he may grant you, Paul says, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power. This is what it means to be full. And this is what Paul prays, that if we're going to be full at all, that this is where it'll start. That we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being. In the inside man is literally what he writes. In the inside man, Paul says, while the outside man continues to waste away. And if you're wondering what it looks like to be strengthened by the Father through the Spirit in your inner being, Paul gives some definition in the phrase that follows. He says he prays, That God would grant us to be strengthened through His Spirit so that, he says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. To be strengthened through God's Spirit in your inner being, in your inner self, is to have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. But don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here As he holds up the glass of our Christian life for the first time, he's not simply praying that you'd invite Jesus into your heart, but that Jesus would make your heart his home. Paul's already in this letter laid out what we have in Jesus after we've been identified with him as And part of that is our becoming his home. He's already said that. Not only the household of God, which we are, but his house. We're built together, as he says, to be a living temple for God. We're where God dwells, where he lives. So he's not praying here that we would be what we already are, but that as God's house in whom God dwells, Jesus would be about the business through the spirit of making that house House, his home. That's what this word dwell means. To make this house his home. You know, when we were living in Scotland, we had the opportunity to visit a number of stately homes and castles. And I remember this. I remember going in and We were fascinated by the work done under these land trusts to preserve these places as they would have been in their heydays. Has anybody gotten to see the the castles or the homes of Scotland? This is one of, Catherine, my favorite parts of traveling the country and seeing one after another. We would experience them, and you could go through the rooms and what they would have been like, but... You couldn't even sit down in the seats. You couldn't put on the suit of arms, which I wanted to do on more than one occasion. So that you were always constantly reminded that in these stately homes, in these castles, you were in fact a tourist. That's how we treat Jesus a lot, isn't it? Invite him into our hearts, into our home, and to, to make his house inside of us, but only as a tourist. You can come in, but you're not the master of this house. And you know what Paul is praying here is that Jesus would not only make our hearts his house but make it his home that he would be the master of it. Not just a tourist on some vacation with us telling him what rooms he can go in and what rooms he can't. As Paul holds up the glass of the Christian life, this is the fullness he prays we would know. Because I understand why I wasn't allowed to put on the suit of arms. I'm no knight. But this is the king the castle was made for. Paul prays that we would know that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That our hearts would be well used by Christ and his to use as he see fit. That as we trust him to do it and entrust ourselves into his hands, He would not only come to stay as a tourist, but take up residence as the master of the house. That we would be strengthened, Paul says, through God's Spirit who carries out the work of God's Son so that none other than the living God, the one living God known in the three persons of the Trinity that we hold so dear to our faith, that none other than this living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would do the work of transforming us from the inside out. That Christ would dwell in your hearts. This is what it means to be full. And this is the fullness for which Paul prays. And yet he prays that full would never be full enough. He picks up at the end of verse 17 and says that you being rooted and grounded in love, that's his summary of what it means to have Christ dwell in you, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, God fills us first by sending His Son through His Spirit to make our hearts His home, to knock down a few walls and update the electrical and replace the plumbing and rip out the rotted floorboards. To strengthen us, He says, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, in His love, because that's what it means. That's what it means for us to be full, to have Him love us and to experience the effects of that as He makes our hearts and the heart of His church, His home. Don't ever mistake the love of God for being simply contained on the cross. That's where we see it most fully displayed. But what Paul's praying here is that you would know the love of Jesus sticking around in your life in the mess of my life, thinking that it's worth changing. Being rooted and grounded in love. Paul says that we would know so that he says Christ might dwell in your heart so that we might know. Paul prays for more. That we would not only be filled of what Jesus does for us, but by knowing the length he's gone to do it. It's a bit like being a kid. Having parents who have gone out of their way to provide for you. To give you a safe home and a, a, a good Education. Chance to play a sport or two, be on a team, or pursue an interest. And it makes for a pretty full life. There's fullness in that. But there's another level you get to when years later you come to know just what it took, just how much it took, how much of a sacrifice it took to make that possible. I had a friend in college who was utterly embarrassed that her father had quit his career to take a job as a janitor in one of the dorm rooms. And it was only years later that she realized, looking at her debt-free life, because she got free tuition, because her father quit his career to work as a janitor in some dormitory, It's only years later she realized the extent to which he loved her. And that's a bit like the fullness Paul prays for here. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, he says, may have strength to comprehend the love of Christ. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, having already experienced Christ's love, and how he loved you by making your heart his home, making the heart of his church his home, that we might have strength then, having been strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the breadth that the love of Christ was broad enough to even include me in the, in the plan as, as far away from God as I was in that moment that he found me. And all that I was running after when I was, wasn't part of His family, didn't know His promises, that I was part of the plan. To know the breadth, but to, to, know the, to know the length, what Christ left His home in heaven and made the cross His throne, but then for 20 years of my life, He's made my heart His home. He's stuck around. After I continue to bring in my crabby old pictures to hang on my walls in my heart as I continue to mess with his feng shui and rearrange the furniture he's stuck around to know the length he's gone to make you one of his own he says to know to know the to know the the breath to know the, the length to know the depth that he's, that he's dove on your behalf. Not only diving to this world, but diving into the mess of your own world. And to know the height that He didn't leave you there, but has taken you and raised you up with Him and seated you with Him in the heavenly places. This is what Paul prays, that being products of his love and strengthened by his love, we would come to know his love. That we would be able to grasp it and to know the love of Christ, which Paul is quick to say, surpasses knowledge. I'll leave it to Paul to throw in a paradox, to know the love that surpasses knowledge. And this is important for us because of the tradition, the tradition that many of us are a part of has put such an emphasis on the mind and knowing with the mind that our picture of what it means to know the love of Christ is only ever about the mind. But Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ as so much more. He's actually praying that the mind would catch up to our experience. That it would be part of us deep down, built into us from the very beginning of our relationship with Jesus. That we would know what we are and what Jesus has done. Just like my friend would catch up someday to know the depth that her father dove on her behalf so she could start out life debt-free when everyone else was starting off with loads more. Paul's praying that, that your mind would catch up to what Jesus has done in your heart. It's important for us, though, that we don't go reversing it back again. That we don't then make the mind all that there is. We should do that. You should know that that's part of what God wants from us. That's what this is. This is an encounter with the living God. This is coming together as God's people, as the temple of God, so that we encounter the living God. And that is not just cognitive. Your heart ought to be moved, not moved without your mind, but move with it. And so the question is: Is your heart stirred over what Christ has done on your behalf, and over, over what Christ has done? in your own heart, not just on the cross, which it should be moved by that, but the years, for those of us who are in Christ, the years that he stuck with the mess that we make of ourselves. I don't know, but to me, that's a wondrous thing. Because this is what it means to be full, Paul says. As he holds up again the glass of our Christian life, To be not only the product of Christ's love, but also those who stand in awe of it. And yet he prays that full would never be full enough. Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And that our lives would be a testament to his love for us. His Patient endurance, to take the fixer-upper of our inner selves and restore it to its original beauty. And that through that, then, we would come to know His love as it can only truly be known with not only our heads, but with our hearts as well. And yet, knowing the love of Christ in this way finally leaves Paul to pray that we, at the end of verse 19... May be filled with all the fullness of God. One paradox to another. You might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? I guess if you were looking to top the list of what it means to be full, this isn't a bad phrase to use. To be filled with all the fullness of God. Surely this is as full as one can get, to be filled with all the fullness of the one the universe can't contain, or that the Encyclopedia Britannica can't exhaust, or that history can't tire out. But what does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? I'm not going to flesh this out right now in any detail. I'm not going to flesh it out, but I think it becomes pretty clear when this final request is read in relationship to the two that preceded. Let's look at what Paul's already prayed. Paul prayed first that Christ would, because of his love for us, renovate our hearts. That he would transform our affections and reorient them around himself. And then having done so, Paul prays we would know that love as a love that surpasses knowledge. That our heads would, in a sense, catch up with what we've experienced in our hearts. So that now after praying for Jesus' work in our hearts and our knowing it in our heads, Paul prays that the love of Christ would be lived out with our hands, with our feet, and with our very lives. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? That at every moment of your life, Paul prays that you would live out of the overflow of what God has poured into you that all of who God is would spill out through all of who you are raises a lot of questions about what you're doing at home with the loved ones you have around you or what you're doing at work what you're doing at the coffee shop you frequent or the library what you're doing walking down Main Street or State Street, because Main Street isn't State Street in Sycamore. It raises a lot of questions. We're going to spend the next five or six weeks looking at what this looks like, because this is where Paul turns his attention after this first half of the book is concluded. But before we start thinking that Paul is somehow satisfied as if being filled with the fullness of God is all there is. Before you start thinking that, we ought to finish Paul's prayer, shouldn't we? Because Paul's, Paul, since he turned first to the subject of prayer back in chapter one, was praying not only for our today, but that we would have confidence in our tomorrow. That we would know anybody remember where we're headed, that we would know that it'll be worth it when we get there, and that we would know that no matter what stands in our way, God's going to get us there in the end. That's what he's been praying since chapter one. And so as much as now he's honing in on today, at the tail end of this prayer, he expands his vision once again and looks forward to tomorrow. Tomorrow. Listen to how he ends in verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, all that I'm asking for you or all that you're thinking you know about the love of God, that he would do far more abundantly according to the power at work within us because it's for now and for forever. To him, he says, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, for Paul, full is never full enough. Because the fullness available to us in Jesus when we are loved together and then come to know just how much we are together loved so that the more we experience this together love, we reflect in it in how we love together, it is all just the overture of the musical of eternity. When God will do what God set out to do from the very beginning, and we will come to know the love Christ has for us even more. Because this is about God. Getting what God deserves. And the glory that he already has, uh, according to which Paul prays, according to the glory, according to your reputation, that you do what you set out to do. Being filled out then by the glory he'll get forever and ever. Because nothing brings glory to God like the fixer uppers of our lives, transformed by the tender love and care of His Son. So, as you go, let me remind you of a few things. Remember that there's so much more to the Christian life than coming to Jesus, and that the glass of our Christian lives is filled first, when we hand over the deed of our hearts to Jesus. Paul's prayer that Christ would dwell in our hearts is not meant to call into question the willingness or ability of Jesus to do so. But it does call into question, at least a little bit, whether we're willing for him to do it. See that little phrase there in Verse 17, through faith, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That phrase speaks not only of our trust in Christ as the only one who can do it, but to our entrusting of our lives into his hands. So today is a great day to think over the house of your heart. And to ask, where are the closets that you haven't handed Jesus the keys to? You ever hear that picture? Where are the closets? Because it's said that you can tell who owns the home by the stuff that's left in the closets. So what are the closets? Because Paul's praying that you would know the fullness of God. And that starts by handing the deed over to your heart. Second, remember that the love with which we are loved is meant if we're being filled with all the fullness of God to be reflected in our love for one another. This is going to be time and time and time again in the next three chapters where Paul lands. That we would love one another. That our being together love is to be reflected in how we love together. And that starts here with how we love one another and whether we love each other like Jesus loves us. That's the community of believers we want to be. That we love each other even though we're unlovely. And we love each other no matter how much time it takes to love each other into being more lovely. But we don't ever stop Loving each other. Because that we have been together loved needs to be reflected in our love together. Remember that knowing the fullness of God begins with a a willingness to be filled. Remember that Paul prays that the love we know in Christ would be a love we show one another. And lastly, remember that the love we know now is only a taste of that love that we're going to grow to know even more in eternity. I know that you're supposed to marry a person you're satisfied with and not marry a person that you think you can make better over the years. I'm convinced, though, I'm convinced that Catherine didn't do that. (laughs) And I'm convinced of that even more now. I knew I didn't really have a shot when we were first getting together. I've told you that before. But I don't know what she saw. And I'm convinced that it was merely potential, if anything. But as we've grown in our relationship together, that hasn't diminished any. If anything, I've grown to know her love and patience, forbearance with me even more. That's what it's going to be like in eternity. Growing to know just how much Jesus loved us, to stick around while he made us into what we were meant to be. One of my favorite hymns was written mostly by a man named Frederick Lehman as a reflection on God's love. He wrote it on a break when he was sitting on a citrus cart, and he had fallen upon hard times. This is what he writes. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes behind the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. He says, When hoary time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race the saints' and angels' song. But the last verse, as the story goes, wasn't written by Lehman. It was found penned on the wall of an insane asylum, thought to be put there from someone who spent in that asylum their last days and written just before they died. And in a moment of lucidity, this is what that patient wrote, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It is our inheritance to someday search out this love that today we can know, but know only in a part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as Paul did. Pray what Paul prayed. That according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ surpasses knowledge that we would be filled with all the fullness of you Amen Thank you for joining us For more information about our church please visit our church's website at kishbible.org That's k-i-s-h bible.org